right, guys, on this episode of the Die Living Podcast, you got Brent sitting down with Griff from Combat Flip Flops. We just did a hunt in eastern Washington, archery elk hunt, and dropped three elk. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about both the hunt, combat flip-flops, what they have going on, and uh, the lessons we learned from the woods. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Die Living Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast. You've got Brent, and I'm here with Griff from Combat Flip Flops. Hello. Griff, tell us the 30-second business card, Combat Flip Flops. Uh, Combat Flip Flops make cool stuff in dangerous places. We go to conflict or post-conflict areas to make fashion and lifestyle products that creates jobs that keep people from planting backpack bombs and doing stupid things. And then when we use our profits to put little girls to school in Afghanistan because educated moms create educated families, which then suffers the struggles or strangles the recruitment base for radicals. And eventually, if we do this over time, we will continue having to send our service members over there to fight stupid wars. Cool. So that's a very special forces uh, business and war model. Yeah. It when definitely, you're a ranger, you're not an SF guy, right? I was not a ranger. I'm sorry, I was a ranger. I was not an SF guy. It's this this solution definitely was not in the box of uh, counterinsurgency strategy. Um, For we rangers, there. yeah. Yeah, not, not at all. No, kind of contrary to everything that rangers typically are known for. Correct. So yeah. where'd the inspiration come from then? Um, after I got out of the military, I started working for a medical company called Remote Medical International. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a lot of medical infrastructure and evacuation work for eight state and aid and other organizations. And so I would have to fly around all these countries to validate hospitals and evacuation routes and best methods to get somebody for a burn or a car crash out of say middle of Africa. Like what would you do? Yep. So you're not there with a fire team and an armored vehicle and a gun. You're there with a backpack and a bag of cash and you got to be nice to people to actually get your job done. And it was really interesting when how your relationship built when you were there without a gun on the table, how much nicer people are to you. It's weird, right? Yeah. They're not afraid of you. They're not afraid of you. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and everywhere I went, the areas that were safe were areas that were flourishing with small businesses because those guys don't want anything bad happening on the corner because it's bad for business, which is then bad for their family. Yeah. They don't allow bullshit on their block. No. They're like Wes. They operate a zero tolerance policy for yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just kept thinking to myself everywhere I went, like, you know, it was, whether it was Afghanistan or Iraq or throughout the Middle East or Asia or Africa, it's the same deal. Like people are people. They want to take care of their families. If you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, you don't want shady stuff going on in your block. And those are always the areas that are the most secure. Right. That don't need soldiers or cops because the business owners take care of it. So I kept thinking to myself, I was like, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't, as a, as a nation, why don't we just create more of these people? Like, right. and just put them into their own communities and have them be prosperous and like Americans and not have to, you know, put up with shit on their block because they're, able, they're run, running good, profitable businesses that takes care of them and their family and their community. Right. And it's not just slinging small little projectiles into one another to prove a point. So. Cool. And so a large part of what you guys do today, we're talking about 
kind of uh, access to business models and things. And it's tough for people to replicate what you guys do because you're in dangerous places on kind of an adventure to just set up your supply chain. Yeah. So living an adventurous life, did that start for you in the Rangers and then continue after that? Did that start early on as a child? Was it something you aspired to be or How'd you come into that of like, you know what, I'm going to go around with a backpack full of money and set up businesses in, you know, shitty countries that are war-torn? Um, yeah, it's weird. So I'm a military brat, uh, only child, divorced parents. So I bounced around a lot. I got to do a lot of cool adventures in the process of that happening. And then, you know, ended up going to, to West Point. Um, I always tried to like push limits and do whatever I wanted. Like, sorry. Um, I always wanted to, to explore the most that life had to offer. Right. And I knew that involved like dedication, hard work and having the means to do it. And so you, you got to put in the good time, get the good grades. You got to go to the good school, like, you know, run faster, do whatever, be in the primo units. And like, those are the, what I would say, the places where you get to experience the fullest that life has to offer. Right. And I don't know where I learned it and how I learned it, but like, all I know is like, when you see a pinnacle unit or a pinnacle team, like you want to go do what it takes to go play with those guys. So you can experience the, the most that it has to offer. Right. Play um, at a higher level. Play at a higher level. Yeah. And I, I just happened to fall into the right circumstances and meet all the right people all, all along the way. And, um, I got out of the military in 2006. I did civilian jobs until 2013, you know, just commercial jobs. And I founded this business with my ranger buddy Lee in 2009, but it really happened in 2010. And then, um, I continued to work a side hustle until it was viable in 2013. Yeah. And it was just, it felt like my life's purpose. I felt good every day when I sat in front of the computer, I wanted to answer all the emails versus my do- job that I normally had where I just, you have to prioritize them yeah. to get, get rid of them. Yeah. So, cool. and it just, that's how it turned out. And I just happened to the path just kept leading me down the right way. And every time we were about to fail as a business, we'd have some sort of windfall thing where it felt like God was teaching us our lesson. All right, you learned what you were supposed to learn. Now you can move on to the next thing and <laughs> fail that way. So like, it's just the way it works. Just, just trial and error. Yeah. Okay. And so the adventure stuff led into kind of an adventurous life with the military. Post-military, it sounds like you were still kind of an adventurous, even if it was corporate America. It was an adventurous part of corporate America. And you've taken that into combat flip-flops, getting into conflict zones and post-conflict zones to establish supply chains, which establishing a supply chain in a thriving country is hard enough. So it's insane that you would want to do it in like war-torn or still warring countries. Um, but so how did, how did we end up on a hunting trip? Is this a work trip for you or is this not a work trip? This is not a work trip. This not is a, a life goal. I'll flip over to the inside of my journal right here. So Griff has his journal sitting on the desk in front of us. My three-year goal right here, the very top ones, is elk hunting. Right? To be able to like successfully do an elk hunt. Nice. So I just knocked off a three-year goal with Brent this past weekend. Pretty awesome. It was my first elk hunt. So thank you again for inviting me. Oh, no worries. Um, so just as... As business owners, like if, if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, it's, it's very interesting. Like you, you connect well with other business owners. It doesn't matter whether they're selling plumbing supplies or athletic supplements or flip flops. The life of a business owner is, is, I wouldn't say they're virtually the same, but they're virtually the same. You have, well, it's the same sets of issues. It's 
the hard thing, because I don't get along with most business owners, I think, or, or it's a dirty word to me, entrepreneurs I don't get along with because I do business a lot differently than they typically do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem sets are always the same. And so it's always interesting to see how other people approach those problem sets. And if they have a similar outlook, usually you drive well. If they don't have a similar outlook, you can sometimes find things to drive well on. But um, it's it's kind of a lonely world when you're in that seat because, you, you know, if you have a, a problem set, there's not a lot of people that know how to solve those problem sets. Mm-hmm. So having a, like a short Rolodex of guys you can call up and go, hey, this is what I'm trying to fix right now. Have you ever dealt with this or how would you deal with it? And, you know, if you've got five or six good friends that you're like, this is a smart guy, he knows business, he's, he's done at least the same things that I have in business or, you know, maybe one step ahead or one step behind, or who knows. It's just nice to have those people to call up and be like, what's the deal with this? Yep. You know, ask for advice and help. Yeah. So I've been talking with Aaron and a couple other guys on the team for a while. And then yeah. like Brent finally got done with all his international travels being Mr. Man of mystery all over wherever. And, uh, we just started talking. And I guess you were listening to the other podcast. Yeah. So I was listening to our podcast you did with Aaron and the guys and you mentioned bow hunting and we're all pretty big bow hunters. So I was like, Oh man, what's every hunter need? A place to hunt because it's hard to find places. So I called you. Hey, man, you want to come hunt public land that may or may not have animals in it in Arizona? And you said. I said, like, <laughs> dude, screw that. Like, screw your plans. Come hunt with me. <laughs> yeah, so Griff had lined up an amazing hunt on. Uh, so we, we camped out on private land, but we were actually hunting public land. Um, Eastern Washington. We won't Tianoway. say exactly where. Tianoway. Tianoway. You won't say exactly where. Yeah. Um, I didn't know the name of that town until just now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we black bagged him. We stuck a bag over his head and drug him out to the elk hunting site. Yeah. I mean, you literally were like, dude, you could show up naked and we'll figure it out. And I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'll take the things I know I need and hopefully they've got the rest. So yeah. I, you know, Ubered it to your house and sat there like, hopefully this works out because I have no idea where we're going. Yeah. You've met my. My, my niece, my wife, and my daughters before I'd ever actually met him. So I cruised through the house yeah. and he's actually sitting in the, in the living room. It's the first time we met. <laughs> hey, thanks for letting me squat at your place for a couple hours. Yeah. And then he met Wes Seiler from Outside Magazine and then my buddy Jason, the smartest redneck. Smartest redneck ever. Ever. Yeah. No, super intelligent dude. He was a phenomenal outdoorsman, but specifically elk hunter. Yeah. You know, you, I, I get to walk around, um, like, when we were kind of all, you and Wes split up and went up one side of a hill and him and I went to the other and him explaining to me the patterns and how they move and all that was stuff that I kind of had an idea of before, but he had those elk just dialed in and he'd never been there before, yeah. but he just knew, you know, based on the terrain, habits of elk, he's like, they're going to do X, Y, and Z and they did yeah. <laughs> like down to the T. <laughs> it was just so funny. Cause like we pull in there the first night and we set up base camp, we throw our tents and our sleeping bags and. It's just a really Spartan camp. You know, it's the shade for the coolers. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we just kind of like lay down to go to sleep. And literally midnight, we hear a freaking herd of elk going 100 yards past the camp. Yep. Bugling and calling. And 
That was, no, that wasn't the first time I heard elk bugle. That's the first time I'd heard elk bugle that close. Mm-hmm. But up in, you know, I hunt in northern Arizona. There's a ton of elk up there. So you'll hear them bugle, but I've only heard them further away. Yeah. So. And so we were all pretty excited when we woke up in the morning and then yeah. hopped in the truck and then drove up the fire service road. Five minutes up a fire service road. We were already on elk. Already on elk. I almost hit one with the truck. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been the best way to end the hunt. Like, hit it, load it in the back of the truck, and drive away. Like, you're only gone for one night. Yeah, yeah we already smoked an elk with an F-150. <laughs> <laughs> What's rule number one of elk hunting? Get a rental truck. Get a rental truck. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, then we saw those two baby mountain lions. Two baby mountain lions with, with no mama. We didn't know where mama was. Which, like, led to the question of, like, we always ought to be, like, looking over our shoulder while yeah, we're hunting the Getting whole time. eaten by a mountain lion. That would yeah. be the best is if Wes had to fight off a mountain lion. That would have just rounded out the trip to be perfect. I think the whole time we were joking about Wes just getting eaten by different animals. Yeah, old, like Max, the bear. I'm actually going to have to change the blog post I'm writing so that it's just the theme is Wes getting eaten by different animals. Yeah. Death by a thousand animals be a good one. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then you guys split up. Yeah. So we split up. So, well, we formulated the the plan the night before we were going to go basically drive as high as we could park the truck, walk as high as we could and hope that we could glass up Mm -hmm. the herd or or at least herd habitat and figure out where they were going to bed down. Yeah. So you and, uh, Wes took off on the West side, East side, North. No. Yeah. North. We took up the North side, I think. No, you guys were walking to the north, but yeah. it was the yeah. east side. So you're walking to the north, we'll yeah. just say, yeah. So the east side. Um, last round, we went the opposite side of the hilltop, and uh, Jason glassed up immediately. Like when yeah. you said you had him, like, oh, there's two herds, and I walked. We we linked up, and he's like, oh, they're over here. And we went and snuck behind a bush, and like looked at them, and they were, I think, like three quarters of a mile away. Um. I th- think it was further than that. I, well, I had to walk all the way out and around, and that was like three and a half miles to mm-hmm. get actually get to them. But yeah, so Jason glassed them up. And then like they were just all laid down there in this yep. gully. And we're like, ah, oh, this is it. Because we knew where they go to water, so we know where they were in between. Yep. We knew where they were in between. We knew where their habitat was. Um, and then there was actually a bunch of like satellite herds. So there's the main herd of probably 50 or 60 elk, and then couple satellite herds of like 10 to 20. So the plan was basically me to stalk around to the far side and try to get on one. And if I didn't, they would spook, hopefully push towards you guys. Toward Wes. Push towards Jason and Wes and then up to you. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a no comms plan. Good execution. So I stalked around, got to 26 meters or yards downhill shooting downhill and shanked the shot totally airballed it high above it um but that that did what we expected right pushed yeah. the whole herd to you guys yeah, and like so i got to hang my head and do a nice three and a half or four mile walk back to you guys <laughs> missing an arrow <laughs> missing an arrow yeah um moping on over to you but then exactly on cue you know the herd had come up, right? Some of the yeah. herd had come before I got I there. watched them watch. West was 50 yards out of position. We just didn't know. And then we spotted where they were choke pointed in yep. after the fact. And then we laid down there. And then you and I both laid down on our backs and almost fell asleep. And then... No, I fell asleep. Totally. Yeah. A bunch of elk walk right past us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I to- totally. It was just snoozing. You're like, Brett, 
Brett. And then I wake up and look, and there's two elk 100 meters behind us. Yeah. You're like, they winded us, but in hindsight, they didn't wind us. They just walked right past us. Because <laughs> we were both snoozing in the sagebrush. Um, that kind of ended day one. Yeah, they walked back to the truck. back. Hung out. So that was round trip between seven and nine miles. So my phone died halfway through the day, and I had already walked seven miles. Yeah, we definitely Um, put down like 12 to 15. Day one. Day one. Jason walked, I think, 40 over the course of two hunting days. Yeah. But the second day, obviously, we were walking a ton. Um, So anyway, I went back. Well, we tried to drive around and like road hunt for some deer. Yeah, like because I, t- I took a shot on that muley in my flip flops before going out to dinner. Yep, exactly. Yeah. In the flippy floppies, I yeah. wish you would have downed it, but that like that would have sealed the deal. Y- that yep. would have that would have made the legend right there. Yep. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Good for hunting, bad for fighting. You'd have to have a new patch. Yeah. Just good for hunting. Um. Yeah, dinners and uh, we we went those ma- coconut mango margaritas. Coconut mango margaritas and. Uh, I bought some socks and underwear because Ooh, the bag right. that I packed. <laughs> I had a beautiful checklist, like flight crew checklist, went down everything, had all my bags staged, and when I left for my flight at 3 a.m., I did not grab my bag with underwear and socks and a few other nice-to-haves. It's almost like the guy who forgot his sleeping bag. Almost like you <laughs> forgetting a sleeping bag. So Griff spent the night underneath meat bags um, and a ghillie suit. <laughs> Somehow survived the night. We went to a sporting goods store that had $8 sleeping bags, and Griff refused to buy a sleeping bag. I am not proud enough to do that, so I actually bought some nice socks. I will say hiking in uh, cotton athletic socks mm-hmm. for, like, you know, ten between 9 and 14 miles, however you want to call that, was not a good time. <laughs> I had some... <laughs> I'm glad I have pretty hard feet, because I had some serious hot spots going, and I would not have enjoyed two days of that. So wool socks were kind of the godsend. But uh, day two, we had, I think, the same strategy, basically. Get high, yeah. see if we think that they are where they were. Well, we drove the truck up, and we saw them first thing yeah. in the morning. We saw that the, those two cows on the left-hand side of the road. Yep. And we Moved saw them. in the same way that they were before. And then we turned the right, and then we saw all the... Yep, the big oh, herd. The bigger herd moving up exactly where we saw them the same day. We're like, okay... Yep. We didn't really pressure them too hard, but they're probably not going to go as far as to where we hunted them before, so they're probably going to stay on the intermediary ridge line. Yep, which they did. Which they did. Yeah. Yeah. So we drove up, parked the truck in a better spot. Better. No, was it better? It's better because we didn't get on their water hole. Remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. It was it was further down. We had to yeah. walk further, mm-hmm. so it was worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we parked, jumped out, went high, went to the same spot, same hilltop, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Right before we got there, so you were in the lead. Yeah, I th- I was leading, and like I got up, and we could hear him calling to our left. Yep, like five or six hundred yards out, and we couldn't see him. So I scouted up, and I was like, "Hey, man, we can't see him. Let's go around the back of the hill, terrain, use terrain to mask us. Yep, and see if we can get higher and get a get a better eyes on him. Yeah, and then we we got to the top of the hill. Jason's literally smoking a cigarette. Wind's in our face. <laughs> we're sitting there like BSing the whole time. And then uh, we hear the we hear him start calling again. So I get down, I start creeping. I see like 300 yards off. I see this big bull like running across this ridge line. He's like gonna like gonna see us, but we're masked by trees and entering. We have entering. Yeah. yeah. And then I started just creeping forward because I just didn't know there's like a little hollow in the back where I saw elk run to. Yeah. The other day, so I was just like knee knee stop looking. 
Nini, and all of a sudden I see this spike just turn. By the way, I was just walking behind you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're on a knee doing your thing, which totally made sense. And then the guys behind me, because I was the second guy in the line, were like kneeling and like yeah. cr- almost crawling. And I was just like walking, because your head, like with the way the angle yeah. of the hill was, like I was still below you. you yeah. Know? Like you were far enough ahead. But I thought it was funny. I was like, dude, I'm just going to walk. And the guys behind me are like, creeping along <laughs> and this spike just stands up and like looks at me and give you guys the hand signal to like yeah stop chill out yeah and I, all i could channel was i'm a tree i'm a tree i'm a tree because he's 40 well, you, yards and you like, had that ghillie suit on yeah so you were a tree yeah i was a tree you were a tree yeah. and then he like turned and i like i was like oh crap i'm actually gonna get to do this and i reached down and i pulled the arrow because i didn't have an arrow like knocked up no we didn't think they were that close we thought there were still a few hundred out yeah so i had to pull the quiver and then he looked away and then I got it stuck in there and he looked back and they had to not move, you know, be the tree again. And then he stuck his head like in front of this tree. So at this point, he's like kind of stood up and walked to my left like 10 yards. And so there was like 25, well, 30 yards in between. If I could interject, everybody says in a situation like this that, you know, it's you remember all the details, but it happened so fast. This did not happen so fast. This was probably a minute, mm-hmm. two minutes, maybe of like build up of. It was like, okay, stop, be the tree, think that you're going to grab the arrow. Because I could see, like, the motion, like, your the checklist you're going through in your head. It was a long time, like, a yep. lot of patience exercised, just being super smooth and methodical. Like, okay, now's the time to grab the arrow. Slow is smooth, smooth yeah. is fast, right? You Exactly. Do we even train all year to have, like, that opportunity? Yep. And, like, don't screw it up by getting over... By, by yeah. missing. By missing, right? <laughs> 26 <laughs> yards. And so, so like, so he gets up and he walks to my left, and I was like, all right, he's full broadside shot, probably about 45 or 50 yards, but I got to, like, skate past this tree and underneath this branch to get to him, and then I go to full draw, and he turns right and starts walking away. Yep. And then... It takes like five or six steps. So now he's at about 60 and like, that's as far as I'm comfortable taking a shot. Right. And like he just stops and turns like, just like one step to the left quartering away. And it was like perfect trigger squeeze. Watch the Luminot go off. And I watched that, that arrow goalpost drop right into him. I heard it. I heard the impact as it hit him. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were stoked. You, You did the, you did like the fist pump. Yeah. But I couldn't tell if it was a good fist pump or a bad one. I'm like, I heard it. He either drilled a tree or he <laughs> drilled that elk, one or the other. And of course, it was a good fist pump because you yeah. watched the shot just drop right down into his lungs. Yeah. So. And then, uh, then we just we went and found the arrow and it had yeah, blood in the arrow. It was weird though. It was like not a lot of blood on it. But we had waited. We probably waited, what, a half hour on that hillside before we mm-hmm. moved off because we didn't want to push him down. You know, if he was. And just bedded down right around the corner. Yep. Didn't want to push him away, so we waited a half hour. Some of the blood ran off the arrow, obviously. It was, it's actually hard to find. It took us a few minutes to find the arrow and mm-hmm. blood trail. So you got you guys then got on the blood trail, mm-hmm. and Wes and I pushed to Further try to glass up the herd. Yeah. Yep. Wes and I pushed. I actually took a nap once we got down there. Yeah. But anyway, so you and Jason get on the blood trail and start moving to find him, and then... And so, like, like huge piles of blood yeah, everywhere. And we're like, oh, we are just super happy because we know we brought down a spike. And, like, so for people who don't know elk hunting, you see the big horny animals. Like, those are 
big ones. And we're not allowed to hunt them where we're at. And then yeah. there's cows, which are females. And then there's spikes, which are essentially a two-year-old male. And they just grow these little tiny spike horns, one on each side, no extra points. Yep. And so the probability in the area where we were hunting was spike and cow only. And so the actual <coughs> probability of finding, finding a, spike. a spike within shooting range and distance. Super low. It was like, it's super low. Yeah. Like, and, um, it's, it was more rare. We saw more tr- like world-class trophy bulls than that's the only spike we saw. No, that was that one. No one. Yeah. Spike. And, uh, so Jason and I track him down and then we get, Jason gets like 15 yards from him in this sagebrush and he stands up and looks at Jason and just bounds down the hill. And I'm thinking, okay, this is it. You know, he has lost a ton of blood. This is going to push him over the edge. We're going to find him piled up down at the bottom of the ravine here in a little bit. Yep. And then, so we're just like, what are we going to do? Like, well, we actually pushed him hard enough. Let's not push him again. Yep. Let's just sit behind this tree and wait. And like we texted you guys and we brought him down and they were moving over to our position. And then, um, Jason and I are standing there. And then all of a sudden, like these two female, these two cows just come running right up at us. We're like, is this really happening right now? Is, is, I mean, they were like moving out at speed, not concerned. Yeah. They, and like we're fully standing up in the open, well, a little bit behind this tree and like we squat down and, and it was you, Jason and Wes at this point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they stop at like 40 yards short. The first cow comes around, like Wes gets a shot, drills it, and then Jason stands up because the other cow followed it down, and then Jason drills that one. And so we had three elk down in the same gulch before 10 a.m. Yeah, and that's when I woke up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Wes and I pushed over and started glassing this ridgeline, but it was – we didn't – when we saw the herd move in the day before, it was like 10.30 or 11 by the time they actually moved into their bed down site. So when we got up to glass that ridge, I was like, dude, they're not going to be at a bed down site. I'll be able to see this giant herd moving. So I would like glass for a little while, doze off, glass for a little while, doze off. And I literally wake up to this string of texts that are like, hey, we found him, move to us. Like, And I see the whole like story play out in text <laughs> message, and I'm like, shit, where are they? And Brent's like, are there any other elk down there? And we'll reply back, they're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> so I reply back, are, uh, are there any other elk moving? He's like, no, they are all dead. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, I guess I'll walk over and help carry some heavy elk. And so, uh, so we, uh, like, the, the realities of where we were, we were, like, the, the most inconvenient spot on the property. Well, so we had, we hiked in probably a solid, it took an, it was an hour and a half hike in Mm -hmm. and we're all, you know, in relatively good shape, moving with a purpose. So you're talking miles, basically going up Mm -hmm. and then across ridgelines to get there. And then you assholes shot them and they fell down into like the, the, the backside, the the bowels of hell, (laughs) so far down this ridgeline. There was the only way to get down in there was walking. You couldn't get any type of vehicle in there. Well, you couldn't even get a, we got an ATV, what, 500 yards from the closest mm-hmm. to, um, yeah, but just getting to work, quartering those things out. That was the amazing thing was Jason had that one quartered so fast. He's just, he's just done he it so the, many times. Well, and he had a system that like, it was different than any other system that I'd seen. And it was just like super fast and super efficient. So I, mm. you know, I was, I was doing my thing at his direction because, you know, he's the subject matter expert. He was a professional guide for, 
years. So I'm like, Hey, just tell me, you know, what you want me doing. And he would tell me and we'd just zip that thing apart and then went up and helped you guys cut that other one up. But his system was just like, I'm taking mental notes, you know, yeah. like, next time I down an animal doing it this way. Um, and you, we made the smart move. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that literally after I see like Jason, like fist pump and like, I take some photos of him. And the first thing I do is I text my wife and it's like, Hey honey, we just dropped three elk in the middle of nowhere. Like, I need a, I need a four wheel drive ATV now. <laughs> and so my wife gets on the phone that God bless her. And she calls around and she finds a local ATV guy. It's like, Hey, there's a bunch of veterans out there. They just dropped three archery elk. Like that's when you got to drop the vet car. Yeah. Like. You have to. <laughs> and this guy's like, really? It's like, yep. And, uh, so she texts me like back 15 minutes later, got this guy, Brian. He probably thought she was full of shit. Like there's yeah. no way these guys went out and dropped three elk on public land. Yeah. That doesn't happen for anybody that's not a hunter. Going out and shooting an elk is like a, it's not an easy task. It's a 10% likelihood of success. Yeah. And we were yeah. doing it with bows on public land and shot three elk. Before 10 a.m. Before 10 a.m. Day two. It yeah. doesn't happen. The yeah. stars align for us. So and anyway, we get this ATV. We go. So now, so like, no, so we get it. And so the, so this is like, we, we picked up this two cows and then yep. you, you threw a shoulder on your back and you and Wes went back and got the truck and drove yep. all the way back down to the gate. Yeah. Got the ATV, and yep, then the, the guy was super cool. We didn't we didn't even sign a user agreement. He yeah. was just like, "Hey, don't crash my ATV any more than it's already crashed." Some assholes wrecked it last week, you know, at a bachelor party. So we're like, "Okay, cool." You know, do I have anything to sign? He's like, "No, nah, just I, let me know where you leave it." All right, bro. And he showed up with forty bags of ice for yeah, us. Oh too. yeah, we called him. He I, got forty bags of ice for us to put. He was like, "Do you sure you need forty bags?" Like, "No, no, no." We shot. Three elk, the truck bed's going to be full of meat. We need 40 bags of ice. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had to buy more. We had to buy another 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 28. 28. It was 28 the next yeah. time. We bought 40 and took 12 back. Um, and then, uh, so like as soon as Jason, like I walk down to the bottom of the ravine, I find the spike, you know, we, we get it all carved up. And like literally as soon as we got the last cut done, I could hear the ATV pulling up, pulling up at the top. And then that's when the suffering began. Yeah, it was, uh, so if you down one elk, you can call some buddies and be like, you down a deer, you better just pack that shit out yourself. Right. But you down an elk, totally acceptable to call up like three, four buddies to help pack it out. Cause they are massive critters that how much does an elk weigh? A thousand pounds. I think the ones that we shot pounds. probably like 800. Yeah. 800 pounds. And most of that's coming out. You, you drop a couple hundred pounds or the guts out of them, but most of that's coming out to get processed. So we had, we still, Wes figured it out. I was like, we were still going up twelve or 1,300 feet to get to the ATV and probably a quarter mile or half mile from uh, the spike. Oh, yeah. Half a mile and up just basically straight up. The cool thing I thought, which we have pictures of, we'll throw on the the blog post is we're trying to figure out how to pack this stuff out in as few trips as possible so you guys actually used the rib cage as like a pack and there's like <laughs> straps going through it it's like full of like bows and other like miscellaneous yeah, equipment yeah, miscellaneous <laughs> equipment strapped to jason's back which i'd never seen before but i don't know if you guys thought that up on the fly but literally he got up and i just started throwing stuff like he stood up he's like this is heavy and then i started throwing more stuff inside <laughs> And like so, it's about to get worse. And so you got to imagine Jason, like he is six one, six two, and he might yeah. weigh a buck fifty. Yeah, he's super thin. Like maybe. 
Well, and he's just jacked up from time in the army. He's been blown up a bunch. He's had three shoulder surgeries, a back surgery. Yeah, like, like he is. He he rickety. moves well, but he's he's rickety. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> he's a little he's a little rickety. And so like so, Jason gets this cage on his back, and then he helps me flip the hindquarters up over my shoulders. And you can imagine like it's like giving a uh, an elk a rear half of an elk like a, a piggyback ride. ride. Yeah, like Most over your neck. Yeah, no, they can't. And, uh, so it's super top heavy and I'm kind of like working my way up the hill and then, you know, Brent comes down and I hand him the hindquarters. I was like, Oh, I'll just take this, yeah. this, this cage off. No, off I asked cause I was, yeah. I had just ridden the ATV down. Right. So yeah. I was like, okay, like you obviously need help getting this up there. What's the heaviest? I'm fresh. And you're yeah. like, no, you got to take these hindquarters. I'll take the, the other pack. I'm like, all right, cool. I didn't know the difference. And then <laughs> Dude, as soon as I flipped that yeah. freaking, like, that, as soon as I got the weight up, I like, yeah. I said to my, I said to Jason, I was like, oh, I chose poorly. <laughs> I chose so poorly. That Wrong was so decision. heavy. Yeah. Oh, man. But then, like, but then, it, like, there came a moment about 100 vertical feet off from that. It's just like, just no, the suck. this is, I trained all year for this kind of pain. Yeah. Like, to get that, like, two minute opportunity to shoot that spike, to chase him down in a hill, to, take care of the meat to you know, do everything we could to like have to hump it out of there. Like it was yeah. like, this is the pain I actually wished for. Right. And as soon yep. as you like yield exactly. to overcome and you go like, Nope, I wanted this and then just enjoy it. <laughs> Dude. All I started thinking, cause I immediately knew like you guys were all stoked and I immediately was just like, fuck, this is a lot of work, man. Like one, one deer is a good number, like good bit of work, right? Like cleaning a deer, quartering it out processing it if you're not one of those dudes that you know just cuts off the good parts and leaves the rest because it's all good meat um takes a long time and so yeah. that's immediately what my brain went to is like dude we're gonna be out here until 2 a.m getting these things ready and then i get down there and you're like oh no atv's on the way that'll help you know minimize pack out time it's like awesome perfect like Totally need that when you shoot three. But what I also was thinking was, dude, I'm glad I airballed that shot day one because that would have made our pack out. So we hiked up an hour and a half and then it took me, what, another hour to get around to where I took that shot. Granted, you, you took of, the shot on the opposite side of the gulch that we were in. So it would have been. No, it was like two gulches over. Oh, was it? It was at the top. So there was the gulch we were in. If you went on the other side of that hilltop, there was another gulch. And then another hilltop and down into a gulch up that hill. Well, that would have sucked. It would have been, we might still be out there now. <laughs> shit out. It, it would have been terrible. Plus the animals were on the top of the hill, the top of a steep gulch. So if I shot one, there's a high likelihood it would have just rolled down and stacked up in the bottom <laughs> of that gulch. So it would have been terrible. So I'm glad I airballed on purpose. We'll just go with that story. Yeah. Shanked it at the last second. But anyway, pack out was uh, not that terrible. Could have been way worse. Could have been way there worse. Three elk down in a gulch. You know, we got the ATV in pretty close. The ATV was super sketchy. I might add. Right, yeah, like that thing bald in was tires. <laughs> so it was bald tires. Racks were all bent. The closest road. It was about a half hour to get to the like closest trail or whatever, like before you were just cruising through wilderness, basically. Um, and it was like rock crawling up a gigantic hill. So at one point I've got all the elk strapped to the front of this thing. 
I'm hitting the gas with my like pointer finger and I'm leaned totally <laughs> over the front of this thing so that there's weight on the front end and it's still doing wheelies up a super steep hill is every time we hit a rock. It was sketchy. It was actually kind of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. He's like, does anybody have good, good experience riding ATVs? And like, like I can, but I don't want to. That looks yeah. dangerous. And Brent's like, oh, I got this. Like, all you, bro. Yeah. All like, have fun, you. man. I'm just like, dude, I know this is a terrible idea. But whatever. I've never gotten hurt off-roading on an ATV or dirt. Oh, wait. Half, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, we, uh, so Wes, you know, he walked over carrying a quarter. You took the last half out, and then Jason yep. and I, we just walked over, um, Packs. on foot, and then you guys got everything in the back. I mean, it was just like perfect timing. It was pretty fast. Yeah. It, it was pretty fast. Um, camped out one night. We debated pushing back home. Yeah. That night, but I'm glad we didn't. We were pretty beat. And then the next night, we were deboning elk until midnight. And then we had to stop you because you wanted to keep going until 6 a.m. And Wes and I were like, no, <laughs> we're going to sleep. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty fun. Like, none of us, like, you know, I'm, of the, I'm of the mantra there's certain things you don't do when you go hunting is you don't fly with coolers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a truck that is not big enough to fit your animals and your gear. Um, yeah, you're more superstitious than I am. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm super superstitious. Like if you show up well prepared, like you're you're gonna. Oh, that's burn. fair. Yeah. So we talked about this before the hunt, but you know, I bought some brand new camouflage. I bought some uh, six sight gear, which I it's really nice. It's super nice. It's well made. It's made in USA. Company started by a former soft guy Seal. Try not to hold that against him. Um, but what I cared about was just the build quality. It's like really well built outdoor gear it's cool that it's camouflage but you know we talked about this how many guys get out there in jeans and a t-shirt or a flannel and are dropping monsters and i feel like i feel the same way kind of with preparation like if you prepare too well it just stacks the odds against you like karma's like nope it's not gonna happen today but if you just show up after work like jeans and a t-shirt you're going to drop something and you're like, shit, I drove my wife's car here. Like, where am I going to stick this thing? Oh, I got to go buy a cooler. And then you have to figure it out all on the fly, which we definitely did. That was like from day one. I mean, I showed up. I didn't have a Washington state hunting license. I thought I could just buy it online. Couldn't buy it online. Couldn't buy it in the store. Had to do another hunter safety course online to get a hunting license. You forgot a sleeping bag. I forgot socks and underwear. We were just like screwed from, you wouldn't let me bring a cooler. I was good. I just bought a badass new cooler. You wouldn't let me fly with it. You're like, nope, don't even think about bringing it. And then to top it all off at the end of this thing, the whole truck is full of elk and we have nowhere to put the gear. Like literally could not have taken that gear back. Luckily, the guy whose property we were staying on, was, yeah. it, was, was it Rob? Yeah, Bob. Yeah, Bob. Yeah. Bob uh, showed up with his truck just to hang out, and we're like, hey, we got a job for you. <laughs> You've taken all of our gear back. And then it was just, it just all the stars aligned, and it happened out. So we just drank a whole bunch of beers. We told lies and yep. stories about hunting, and then we just woke up in the morning, and as soon as the sunlight was up, we had the camp broken down. The site was clean. Leave no trace. Yep, we left no trace. Dude, so I wanted to do like a leave no trace um, like shirt line or like hat line. 
and I forget who it was, but somebody like some other veteran owned company, like in our t-shirt space, so to speak, mm-hmm. just launched the same thing. I was like, you motherfuckers, <laughs> get out of my head. Um, I always wonder like where the, if, if that inspiration came from the same place or, uh, or the idea came from the same place or if it's purely coincidental, you know, you, you see some other company do the same thing. And you're like, I haven't done this yet. How would they, you know, they didn't steal the idea. I think we talked about it. Like we're all passionate kind of about the same things and yeah, similar mindsets and people and all that. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, so we get back and, uh, processed meat till midnight that night. And then last was, we was finished like 10 ago. o'clock last night, 10 o'clock last night processing meat. We bought a new deep freezer. We had to go buy a new food meat sealer. grinder. We, we broke busted a feed, food, food, a seal. food sealer. I thought we were going to bust the grinder, but I think pushed pretty well. Yeah. Um, we got to figure out what the total on meat was. It's a few hundred pounds of meat. Definitely. Yeah. It's probably three, 400 pounds of meat. <sighs> a lot of meat. Oh yeah. Yeah. Your family will be eating elk sausage until 2020. <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, no, it was an awesome time. The, the coolest thing, and we talked about this yesterday. The coolest thing to me was that it was a group of dudes that had no plan going into it really. And just, Everybody knew how to read a map. We figured out a communications plan. Everybody was proficient enough in the woods that it was like, hey, I'm going to be three ridge lines over. I'll try to push them to you guys if I miss a, if I miss a shot. You know, we, we basically established a plan and executed. Everybody kind of knew what was going on the whole time. Yeah. yeah. And that was impressive to me. I haven't been a part of so many uh, professional operations that didn't go that smoothly. And this is just like a ragtag group of... Um, you know, Jason was a, a hunting guide, but the rest of us got into bow hunting kind of more recently. You know, the last, I've been doing it for like five years, six years. You've been doing it for three, three. No, actually, no, yeah. three, no, four, five, no. six years. Five, no, six years. Yeah. Now. Elk hunting for three though, right? Yeah, elk hunting for three. Yeah. So I, this is my first elk hunt too. And I think it was Wes's first elk hunt mm-hmm. and Wes has only been bow hunting. You got Wes into bow hunting, right? Yeah. He's yeah. been bow hunting for three years, I think. Yes. Yeah, um, his first elk hunt as well. Right. So that was pretty awesome just to get together, come up with a plan and then execute it pretty much as flawlessly as you could execute a plan like that. We didn't even break anything, did we? Didn't break anything. Um, Forgot a bunch of stuff, but it was frivolous. You don't really need socks or underwear, you know? Definitely not. Definitely don't need a sleeping bag. No, No, dude, I, so I didn't wear underwear with that six sight gear and it was more comfortable than wearing it with like Under Armour boxer jock underwear. So I'm sold on the six sight. I can't unsee that now in my head. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you saw the outline of it all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's very form fitting. Um, we learned a lot. Like, you know, rule number one is you know, definitely get a rental truck. Get a rental truck. So in white. In white. Other color that hides scratches. Um, well, so we didn't finish our trip, though. So we have to reschedule. Yeah, we were supposed to go salmon fishing and crabbing, too. Yeah, so the original pitch when Griff told me my hunting sucked in Arizona and to come up here was three days of elk hunting in eastern Washington then cruise out to the San Juan Islands and hunt blacktail deer and do some salmon fishing. And I was like, dude, that sounds like the most epic trip ever. And it still was, but it's only we, half finished. Yeah, we we instituted the two elk rule from now on. Yeah, two two elk is the maximum. I think it should be like a 50% rule. Like 50% of tags are filled, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's uh that's a hell of a way to kick off a first L cut. Yeah, I think we're kind of a little spoiled. Yeah, I'll be jaded from now on. That's like going to um, I went snowboarding with some friends a few years back. Well, fuck, now a while back, seven years back at uh, Mammoth Mammoth Mountain, and it like ruined snowboarding for me. You know, I grew up snowboarding and stuff, but just going to Mammoth, I was like, man, unless a mountain's this good, I don't want to be a part of it. So now I know every elk hunt I go on, I'll be like, we going to see elk within 15 minutes of being on the truck or what? Because yeah. If not, it's a bunk hunt. <laughs> Unless we can just lay it right on the hood day one. So. Yeah. So, yeah. We learned a lot, though. Great relationship. We talk a lot of Dude, business. I, well, yeah. We talked a lot of business. Um, a, lot of, a lot of life stuff, which always happens on hunting trips. It's just a lot of the business stuff is, you know, we're both – <laughs> Anybody that knows me is going to laugh, but I'm really about the details with business in certain things. Like you have to be able to dive into and know the details um, and at least know where to get them, even if you don't know them offhand. But a lot of the business stuff we went into was was just like larger, like good life policies, right? Like we Mm -hmm. talked about, you know, number one is assembling a good team of good people. Yeah, good people that are good for the organization. Good for the organization, and that's that's not just business; that's a life thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like you should surround yourself with good people that are good for your life. You know, if they're not on that a similar path to you, then they probably need to just walk theirs and you walk yours. You know, but um, no, it's good times. Learned a lot from Jason. I feel like I got really lucky hanging with a experienced elk hunting guy, like a backcountry elk hunting guy. Mm-hmm. He needs to be on a podcast in, in his own right because – so this guy, Jason, friend of yours that is from Issaquah. Yeah. We we met because, like, when I got out of the Army, like, I, I didn't – hunting didn't really appeal to me anymore because if I could see it, I could hit it. Yeah. And I didn't really find that fun. And so I always wanted to get into archery, but I never had time to right. in between deployments. And uh, I was just walking my daughters, like, to the park one day, and I see this guy – redneck from hell wearing like a real tree shirt you're shooting across the road into a, a foam block in his yard it's not like a tiny road either like no. this is a real road in downtown yeah in downtown <laughs> it, like his back is like literally almost against the fire station yeah and uh and he's like hey are you sh- shooting archery i want to learn about it and so we just like got to be friends and well but that's how jason is you know i met him and immediately he would have given me the shirt off his back. You know, like yeah. I, I'm asking him questions about all kind of just talking, rapping. And he's that, that type of guy that if he can help you, he's going to, mm-hmm. but he was a, he was an elk guide, like a backcountry elk guide. He said they would, you know, basically take in a little, um, like Piper club or like a little plane, right. With the giant tires get dropped off and not come out for like two or three months. You know, clients would get flown in, dropped off and they would guide out of this elk camp for two, three months at a shot and then season's done and you pack it up and head home. Yeah. A dude who's got that much time in the woods is very valuable as a hunting buddy. Yeah. So he can spot and track like no other, which is like, it's the best skill to learn when you're hunting is once you hit it is actually being able to close with it. And, and, oh yeah. And well, that's 99% of the work yeah. as far as like timelines and importance goes. If, if you get into make the shot, the work that's gone into it typically before that. And we're, we're making it sound like it, this was an easy hunt. And the people who have hunted out there before maybe have seen elk every now and again, but we got told nobody except one professional hunter has taken an animal, 
in 13 years yep. out of that little track to land. Um, that's just because the terrain is so gnarly. You got to got to go up and then you got to go over. And so once you we we hunted it about the only way you can is just get high, spot the herd, and then try to either ambush them or stalk in. But uh, that Jason was a huge part of that. Yeah. Just him with his knowledge of elk, how they pattern, how they move, what they're going to do. And learning from that guy was incredible. I mean, definitely a redneck, but knew a shitload about hunting. Yeah. So that was super cool. And then Wes. Wes. Yeah, Wes. From L.A. From L.A. <laughs> and his Instagrams. Not stereotypical the guy from L.A. Yeah. Until you're going to buy kombucha. Oh, yeah. And, and then, then you have to buy the, the small brand. The, the handcrafted small batch kombucha. <laughs> Otherwise, he berates you for... <laughs> for supporting a large mega yeah, corporation. For not supporting sustainable hippie farming. Yeah. Um, well, but, but I mean, he posted those Instagrams, and we're already starting to get some some inquis- in- inquiries and yeah. doing an, ep- an epic level hunt. So hopefully we'll do another follow-up to this podcast of a, of a larger adventure. Yeah, some... Uh, That'll be interesting if it takes place. If. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When, as you like to say, yeah, when, when it takes place. When it takes place. It's going to happen. No, it'll be be an epic hunt. That'll probably be a rifle hunt, though. Mm-hmm. We'll have to uh, take some boomsticks for that one if we get get what we're going for. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the team selects for their, for their weapon of choice. Uh, I think the location of that hunt will largely dictate what guys bring. Because if we, if we go abroad, it's... Sometimes it can be tough to get rifles into certain countries. It'll be bolt guns, I think. Yeah, it'll definitely be bolt guns, but maybe some local sourcing will happen. Who knows? That'd make it really interesting. Locally sourcing your firearms. You just got to put a day on the range with good ammo then. Yeah. Just know what we're going to get. Get there, figure it out. Yeah. I wonder if you can bring ammo in easier or harder. It depends on the country, though. Each mm-hmm. country's got such weird regulations, and who knows? But... Hopefully more to follow on that. So let's wrap it up. Um, plug all your uh, your pages. Combat Flip Flops on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, Snapchat, if we can ever figure that thing out. It's all Combat Flip Flops. All Combat Flip Flops. And you're on Instagram, cff.griff. cff.griff. And then on Facebook, cff.griff as well. And that's G-R-I-F-F. Two Fs. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for inviting me out for this epic hunt that's ruined me for all future elk hunts. No, you're going to die trying, die living, right? <laughs> die, <trying. laughs> die panting when you're walking up that mountain. Yeah. So, all right, cool, man.